Hello, this is Patrick. And this is Peter. And you're listening to Translation Confidential. So, Peter, what have we got to talk about today? Well, we're hoping to uh, cover some best practices for website translation. Uh, should be a really an engaging topic. We've done quite a few websites uh, over the years, and uh, hopefully there's some valuable information for our, our listeners. Yeah, I'm excited about that because I, when I try to talk to people about the work I do, a lot of times I don't really understand why there would be an organizer in this process because they're just like, oh, you just take words and you get other words. What are, what are you doing? And then I was like, well, I mean, think about like a website. And then people are like, oh, I get it. Project, <laughs> project manager is key in this effort. So yeah. you know what I'm excited about? What are, what are you excited about, Peter? Uh, today's etymology. Today's etymology. I'm actually surprised. This one was, when I did further research, another one that really get, was full of surprises for me. So do you know when the word cyberspace or cybernetics or the, the idea of cyberness entered our, our mind as a people. It was invented by Al Gore. Close. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was cited as early as the 1940s, so really? way before the internet. And um, it was used to, cybernetics was considered the study of complex systems. And uh, it comes from the Greek word kupernismos, which means the practice of piloting a ship with a steer or a rudder, so the, the, mm. the cyber part, uh, actually refers to an ancient Greek word for like a, like a rudder. Okay. And um, kupernismos might sound familiar because it's also the root that we get the word government from. Plato uh, was talking about the act of governing and the act of like leading a polity, and he was like, it's, it's similar to steering a ship. And so we have this like divergent path where in one way this ancient Greek word meant government and one way it meant like the practice of complex systems particularly in informatics and so I think that's really cool because I was just referencing how complicated and how much management these these kinds of projects involve and they're they're kind of like the cyberist thing that we do so very cool yeah it's a fun you can take that one to the bank yes thank you very much <laughs> I, I will indeed that was a good one, though. Even though it didn't have an Italian root, which is the I know. I well, you know, for. I think that they Greeks close enough. Yeah, it's just right there. It's on the Mediterranean. Uh, so, let's get started talking about the the lay of the land. Essentially, when we're if we're talking about this as like a big, difficult to manage and difficult to govern thing, um, what does the terrain look like for a, a website project? So, you know, we've certainly come a long way. You know, we've been at this now for 24 years, and translating websites today is certainly very different uh, than what it was 24 years ago. Um, it was very much dominated by cutting and pasting. You know, there would be an mm -hmm. engineer somewhere who had hard-coded a site, and they would say, well, there's no way a translator can handle this. We're just going to give them the content in Word, and then we'll manually cut it and paste it into the site. And you know, oddly enough, th that still occurs a little bit. We we don't mm -hmm. we don't tend to do sites that way. We're we're very comfortable in code, so we can work in hard coded sites. But really, the trend has been towards content management systems, and eliminating any of the complexity in that workflow. So what we see more often is sites that are done in Kentico or WordPress or Drupal, Joomla, Adobe Experience Manager, Ektron, uh, EpiServer, you you name it. And we will set up a link where we can transfer the data very seamlessly from the site to our translation management system. Translators work in code. 
upon completion, it goes back to the client and then onto the completed site. And then that's where typically a functional review occurs where we're looking and using the site as a user would just to make sure that everything uh, worked out well in translation. Well, okay, that's really interesting. Can we zoom in a little bit on the content management system or the mm -hmm. CMS? So uh, it, it used to be the case that we had our HTML and our CSS and you would just go into the little paragraph nodes and, and type out what you wanted. But now we, we have these more user-friendly interfaces where people who are not necessarily uh, coders or people who are working very specifically or specialized in an internet space are able to, to come in and, and contribute content. And content is very much separate from the site itself. There's like a disentanglement. So is it? can you walk me through some sure. of that a little bit? Great question. Uh, you know, the advent of CMS has um, really been a wonderful thing for businesses of all sizes. Uh, you know, WordPress in general has really lowered the bar in terms of what it takes to create a website. You, you can go out and get yourself an instance of WordPress and download a theme and pretty quickly create a website. Of course, we've seen you know, highly customized WordPress sites that clients will do mm -hmm. and you know, with all sorts of added functionality and bells and whistles. But the bottom line is that it allows users to create content so much more quickly without having to understand how to hard code a site or how to, you know, that's all done by the theme. In other words, the web developers do the heavy lifting inside of the theme, whether mm -hmm. it's purchased and you just use it off the shelf or whether it's something that's custom, they're essentially just creating templates where users can input content. And it's really similar for, for translation. We can carry that web developer's vision forward mm -hmm. by merely translating within the constraints of the theme. Yeah, that's. it seems like it creates like a pretty easy, I guess, tunnel of access for us because mm -hmm. the, if the content isn't baked into the site and there's just this, this system, then we can, we can link onto that. And I guess we can talk about that in a second, but this feels like it's leading us to one of our best practices. So I just wanted to... Uh, bring that up. One of the things that we wanted to talk about today was making sure that you're translating everything on your site. So what does that mean and what does that look like? Because it seems obvious enough. In the cut and paste world, you just control all, put it in a Word doc, and that's it, right? Great question, Patrick. So um, that certainly is the case for a lot of clients. They say, hey, we want to have the same user experience. This is really what it, it, it boils down to. What user experience do you want to provide for users in different countries or, or folks that are even within country but don't speak the same language? Whether your source language is English, Italian, French, whatever it is, you know, what is going to be your vision for the translated versions of the site? And oftentimes it isn't translate everything. Um, uh, it might be a situation where you say, well, we're only going to serve up our blog in English. Uh -huh. But the rest of the content, our products, our services, whatever it is that we're offering, we're going to translate and we want to keep that active. So, you know, that's really the important thing is to just understand what do you want your user to experience when they're looking at the site in translation. And you have to think of things like, well, will we still offer our blog and just offer it sure. in English or will we actually exclude it? from the translated site. How will we do that? So those are all things that have to be covered on the front end, so you're properly scoping what um, will be translated. Yeah, okay, I see how that can be kind of different than, than just a translate everything approach, because there certainly will be some things that'll be irrelevant or even incorrect. Mm -hmm. So 
you, you really have to, to kind of surgically cut out the, the bits that, that you think will work in another market or that are relevant to another market. And, and that is especially true, Patrick, for uh, when we do internal websites. So we, we do a fair amount of work for, we call it intranet work, where okay. it's really corporate news for larger corporations. They serve it up via the web. You know, in the old days, it was just a newsletter or something that was delivered by email. Well, now it's all delivered by web. This is especially true when you're talking about HR policies. Well, maybe there are certain HR policies that uh, are applicable in the U.S., but they're not applicable in China. Or maybe there's discussion of the holiday party at headquarters in the U.S. Well, maybe that's not the case in mm-hmm. China or the Netherlands or wherever these offices are. Um, you know, we've even had it, – it's sort of low-level um, – issues, but yet they're important. There, there was a client we had that was having a, a contest where people were submitting recipes in the U.S. Well, the recipes, recipes didn't make a whole lot of sense in translation that were being submitted. Like half of the food items were not really culturally uh, fit for, for the Chinese market. Like you couldn't even get like half of the items that yeah, were definitely. in the ingredients. So mm-hmm. it's really important to not just spend money blindly. Think about the things that make sense in the yeah, target be market. Yeah, intentional and directed about mm-hmm. it. And I think that, you know, the the two things, another thing that weighs in on this is that you also don't want to pay for information that'll be incorrect or irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you know you can save costs that way. Yeah, and as much as we don't necessarily want to I mean, hey, we'd love to translate everything, right? Obviously, that's a revenue stream for us, mm-hmm. but we want our clients to be smart because you also have to think of the long-term ramifications you're going to want to maintain this going forward. So you have to think, well, how often do I update this specific resource? And am I understanding what that budget's going to be carrying that forward? So that, you know, that's, that's really an important point as well, that once you set off on that translation path, you want to make sure that you're maintaining it. And when there are updates, that you consider that in your budgets. Sure. So that sounds like we kind of have a handle on being intentional about uh, the content. Mm-hmm. But I think another zone where we can and try to be intentional and focus in this sort of project is where the content is going. So can you talk to me a little bit about locales and how they affect uh, specifically a website? Sure. Uh, great, great question, Patrick. So, um, you know, you'll want to think about your products and services. This is very important for folks that sell online, sort of have an e-commerce site. Mm-hmm. So, are you offering all of the products or the services in every market? And if the answer is no, well, then you have to make sure and understand, okay, when we do the Spanish version of our site, we're going to eliminate this product line or this service line because it doesn't apply to that market. So that's important. Or if it is intranet, what is it that you're offering? So are there certain HR policies that you don't want to provide because it doesn't apply to this market? So really just being conscious of which parts of the site are going to apply to which markets. That's really, really important. And then there's also the consideration in locales. You know, if it's more of a, um, a consumer um, site, you know, does the toll-free number work? Or, you know, you know, what parts of the contact us page? You know, who, who's going to be the point of entry or the point of contact? Where are you sending people in a conversion funnel? So that, that's really important as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that when we talk about locales, I think that we have a tendency just to think like style, like, oh, people from Argentina speak differently than people from people in Spain. And, you know, every, it's on the internet. Anyone can get there and you, you can 
only be so targeted with your audience, but at the same time, there's this deeper level than just like the linguistic and stylistic issues that goes into the, the functionality of this the site and what you're going to use it for. Great, another great point, uh, and I hadn't uh, considered that um, from your question in terms of locales. You know, we recently had a discussion with a client where they said, well, we really want to translate our site into French. So we discussed it and said, well, you know, where does most of your traffic come from? Uh, and you can easily see that in analytics. Mm -hmm. You know, most of our traffic is coming from France or most of our traffic is coming from Canada. So if it's pretty even and both markets are important, you should consider doing a version for Canada and a version for France because the languages, uh, the sub-languages are quite different. Um, but if 90% of your audience is in Canada, well, maybe it would be okay to just do a version for French, uh, French Canadian. So um, all really important considerations. You really want to get a handle on your traffic or if it's a new market that you're opening and maybe the traffic isn't there, but you want it to be there, yeah. um, then be specific. But there are um, sub-languages that you have to consider. So you know, Portuguese and French and Spanish, there's many varieties of, of Spanish as well. So you, you want to be uh, conscious uh, of who is visiting your site. So that deals a lot with the messages going out. And I think that as translators, that's normally what we're interested in. But there is an entire or different side to this feedback where we have the messages coming in. So if you have a website that is in another language, you have to be prepared to deal with answers and, and questions and, and engagement from other languages. I think that's the point of having a website, right? Is having engagement. So how do we manage that kind of engagement? A absolutely. So you'll see in modern web design, uh, a lot of sites will have you know the chat functionality, mm -hmm. uh, or they might serve up even a chat bot if it's a, sort of a help-related site. Um, but you have to be prepared for the fact that if you're releasing a site in another language, well, how are you going to handle that? Because now those chat messages are going to come at you in real time in another language. So are you prepared to handle that? How will that be handled? You know, how will those messages be routed? Also, you have to think of time zones. So oh, wow. if in the U.S., you know, you're serving help via a chat window and you're doing it from 7 a.m. till 5 p.m. Central Standard Time, well, how does that affect a user in France or in Spain or in Germany you know, or in China? How will you handle that? The same goes for your forms. You know, you're trying to get these conversions. So number one, are you localizing the form? And number two, who will those requests go? What if someone has a question and they're typing a response in Chinese? Who's going to handle it? You want to make sure to have all those issues addressed before you release the site because the last thing you want to do is alienate a customer and have them wait for days for a response. Definitely. And I'm sure that there are more ways of handling that kind of issue than we have time to go into, but I guess one thing I'm, I'm wondering is, can these chat functionalities be disabled for certain languages? Like, is that one option? Absolutely. So that's something that we've seen clients do. They'll only serve up uh, the chat window on the source language on, on the U.S. site. Um, so you can do that. Uh, you can instead push people towards forms, which then at least gives you some time to cover it. We've seen clients... Um, set up the forms so that instead of the forms coming into the U.S. office, you know, they have an office in Italy, so okay, well, they'll, they'll handle all the European requests. Uh -huh. um, you know, so really, there's, where there's a will, there's a way. It's certainly all manageable. It just has to all be covered up front. Sure. So you mentioned getting, like, for, for example, 
the Italian office involved in, in this kind of engagement management for Italian. That seems like that could be implemented throughout the process. So can you talk to me a little bit about uh, getting input from native speakers of the language who are going to be using the site and, and how they interact with it? Another great question. You're good at this, Patrick. Thanks. <laughs> um, one of the things that should be considered is uh, what to, you know, we talked earlier about what to include in the site. You're getting some feedback either from your users or if you have an office in country or if you rely on a distributor relationship. Um, it's really good to get them involved in the process early. You know, let them know that you've selected a translation provider or it's being handled by freelance translators or it's being handled internally. Get them into the process early. Have them look at the English site. This is the candidate of what we would like to translate. Is there anything that you feel is missing for us to accomplish our mission in country? Or is there something that should be eliminated because it's not being offered? Mm -hmm. You know, Have them look at the English site, in other words, to approve the source before translation. That one little step will really uh, pay dividends. And there's also another thing that you can do is ask them, hey, would you be be able to be part of the review process? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Our translator is going to provide translation. Uh, they're actually going to translate a glossary up front. Mm -hmm. Would you be able to approve that glossary and be part of the solution rather than four weeks later just say, hey, by the way, we translated our uh, website. Here it is translated. It's better to get people involved in the process early. That way they'll feel like they're part of the, part of the solution. Yeah, and I, I, like the, I like what you said about review because one thing that I, I think people may not realize is that when the translators are working on the website, they don't have a copy of the website in front of them, and they don't necessarily know what things are going to look like when they're in place. They're, they're dealing largely in text, and then sometimes we do functional review, and I, I highly recommend that because uh, it, it really does end up mattering. But uh, for instance, I had a friend who is from Kuwait, and she is a, an Arabic speaker. And all the time, she interacts with websites that say that they're localized for Arabic. And uh, she goes in to type her name, and it isn't able to fit her full name because they have different naming customs. And, and so she, you know, it'll ask like first name, middle name, last name. And she's like, well, that's not really true for who I am. And so like she eventually started just putting like a series of initials for like the middle name section that like covered all of her names that she had going. And so, I, I mean, I can't really personally say too much about um, Kuwaiti naming customs, but I can say <laughs> that that is something that, that she caught and she saw, but she caught it too late because she wasn't part of this review team. She was just a user who just felt put out by this process. That's uh, another great point because, you know, getting your users involved is actually a, a great step as well. We've seen clients do that also. So, hey, this is a new website. You know, maybe it's on the About Us page or the Contact Us page. So if you have any feedback on the site, please send it in. You know, that sort of thing is, is actually a really good practice, whether it's mm -hmm. in English or in translation. But um, ab absolutely, I, I think you have to have uh, people that are on the, on the ground in country, mm -hmm. you know, getting you some, some feedback. It's a very important step. Yeah, and I think, you know, your, your internal people would even would be able to realize, like, oh, our phone number wouldn't fit in there or, our, you know, this or what, whatever the case is. Right, There's the so order many of the fields, little things. You know, just... how, where do you put the zip code? Well, we don't, you know, it, it's not 
the same and 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 it's not the same in Europe in terms of how that address is formatted. So those are all like really important steps, and we'll show your com your commitment to that market. I mean, along the same lines, and I, you know, we've really discussed it, but you really shouldn't machine translate the site. I mean, that's something that's like really obvious. You know, I understand it's super super easy to just go to Google and activate their little machine translation. You know, the Google Translate. Um, icon and wow our site is now translated in 72 languages it's cool that I can do that but number one it's not great translation it's not vetted and number two nothing says I don't care about the target audience as much as saying all I did was invest three clicks and now the site's translated I would I would suggest that if your budgets are limited Maybe translate a smaller subset. That would that would make more sense. So sorry, I digressed with that point. Oh no, that's fine. I mean, I think that's uh, yeah, very interesting, very good point. Uh, before that, we were kind of talking about phone numbers and names and subject fields and things like that. And so I I feel that we're kind of moving into the nitty gritty. And since this is translation confidential, I think we should just go nittier and grittier. So I've got a couple topics I want to throw out at you, and you can tell me what you think about them. Um, what about uh, domains, web domains, because they are not all the same in every country. Yeah, I, I think I think it, it goes a long way. Um, you know, if you're really trying to plan a global strategy, it, it might make sense to go and register your domain with all of the uh, the country-specific endings. So, you know, .au for Australia, .it for Italy, .de for Germany. So it, it makes sense. And really, you also want to be aware that once it's known that you're interested in doing this, mm -hmm. there's the idea of domain squatting, and there may be people that have already taken your domain. Um, you know, this is something that's happened to a lot of larger corporations, and it's a little bit sticky to to to, to file with ICANN and get those domains back in your name. Um, but if you're with a larger registrar, like a Network Solutions or a GoDaddy, you should very easily be able to register mm -hmm. for all the domains um, in the countries where you're operating. Sure, because for, for as well as you know, mybigcompany.ar has already been purchased and they're waiting for you to translate your website and get a ton of money from you that uh, they, they probably don't really deserve because they don't really want that uh, <laughs> website in earnest. All right, so that is one nitty-gritty step dealing with all of your domains. There are some other internet things that we have on the list here that, uh, despite being a uh, hip millennial, I don't know all that much about. <laughs> Can you walk me through what uh, routing by region is? Sure. So um, I'm sure many of you experienced it before when you go to a, uh, a website of an international company. Sometimes you go to the site and magically you see your language. Well, how does that happen? Well, uh, there's the technology where through reverse IP lookup, they can figure out where, you know, what server you're on and what country you're located in. And the site through programming will serve up your language of the country you're in. Uh, that's one approach and that's used by a lot of companies and then that way they don't necessarily have a language switcher. So a language mm -hmm. switcher is when in the corner you'll see either flags or language names and you can choose. Um, the other approach is where, for example, UPS is a good example. When you first log on, the first thing you see is a map of the world and you have to choose your region. And then once you choose your region, you're directed to a site. Uh, the reason that's important, again, is we, we spoke earlier about serving up the proper material to the proper market. So mm -hmm. that's achieved through routing. So you have to decide, you know, how am I going to format the language switcher? Am I going to have a language switcher? Will I automatically serve up um, 
the content based on your uh, the the location of the server that you're coming through to the site. So there's all those things to consider before you uh, um, launch the translation of the site. Nice. Uh, this next one I have heard about, um, and I regret not wearing my tech billionaire V-neck today. But talk to me about SEO. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot of energy that's put into SEO and keywords, search engine optimization. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for adding that. Absolutely. So it just makes it so that you're using the right words on the website so that people can find you. Exactly, and you can't really just blindly translate those keywords. Mm -hmm. and, and this is important as well if, if the client is also uh, has an AdWords strategy. So in other words, AdWords is um, the, the Google mechanism where you uh, search for something and then you see an advertisement for a company. Uh -huh. um, you know, you can do that in other countries as well. So you'll want translated ads and translated AdWords or the words that trigger those advertisements to appear. So it's really all sort of the same issue. Um, you can't just blindly translate those things. Um, something to think about for AdWords ads, there are certain restrictions on the length of the material that you'll see in the advertisement. Uh -huh. So you have, to be, you have to be aware of that when you do the translation so that the content isn't cut off. You'll have to be a lot more concise, especially with languages that expand like German. For the AdWords or keywords themselves, the translator really has to put themselves in the mind frame of the user. So something that you might search for in English might be a little bit different in translation. So there's a, there's a skill to that. So it's something you have to consider uh, when you're launching the translation of your site. Sure. I mean, I would love to talk about that even more. I think that it might be a little bit out of the scope of what we have planned for today. But I think SEO is fascinating. And I think that um, because I am a linguistics and translation nerd, I spend a pretty good amount of time with the literature on web translation. And I am not seeing a lot about SEO, which I think is like literally everyone else on the planet is talking about it, so we should be talking about it more. So I, I would love to, to go into that further, and, and maybe we'll do another episode about it, or maybe some... I know we, we want to do more on, on website translation generally, so hopefully that's something that we can pick back up on, because I'm sure people will be interested. For in sure. We can that. definitely dive down deeper on some of these topics. But I think that there's one final thing that kind of encapsulates all of this. So the, the whole idea that I've been hearing so far is that there are lots of moving parts, you know, we are, we are steering the ship and the idea throughout is that we just have to be intentional and in thinking about what we want to happen and what we want the end to look like. And so I think that that just takes a lot of planning. So can you talk to me about what the planning process looks like? Uh, and, and that's something that we're probably going to have to go into deeper some sometime else, but but what are the biggest considerations when setting out your translation project for your website? So we talked a little bit earlier about the role of the project manager, something you alluded to earlier in this episode, and the project manager plays a very important role because th think of all the folks that are involved. If you're doing this properly, and let's think about a ten language release, which is something that's pretty common. So you'll always have a translator, an editor, and potentially a reviewer. So that group alone, you have to multiply that by 10. So now you have 30 individuals that are contributing to this project. Then of course you have the client, the web developer, and perhaps there's even some local offices that are involved. So that's a really large group of people. So just orchestrating the steps is really important. And 
I think that's always a really good kickoff to understand, okay, what is the goal? Is there a deadline that's attached to this? Maybe there's a trade show. Hey, we really want to have the translated website up to meet this trade show. Um, okay, then let's work backward from there. You know, when will final content be ready? You know, some of the things that, you know, there's, of course, all sorts of pitfalls that can happen in these steps, mm -hmm. like starting too early. You know, how many times have we translated a project, uh, whether it's website or otherwise, where the content wasn't finalized, there's all this effort to go into translation and getting it done. I was like, oh, geez, we, you know, we, we changed the copy dramatically. There's certainly ways to mitigate those things, mm -hmm. but again, those are things that should be discussed up front. You know, this content is a little bit fluid, but we're going to start translation early. Which, as long as everyone knows that, there's a certain strategy you can yeah. implement. You can put those steps in. You know, when is the client review going to take place? When is the functional review going to take place? You know, just getting all the steps mapped out are really, really important. And you know, as as you, of course, as you proceed down the line in the steps. That's where the risks are much mm -hmm. higher if you're making radical changes to the source. Because, yeah. again, that affects the other 30 people that are collaborating in the project. Yeah, I, I think to, I've seen this happen before, but to return to the naval uh, metaphor, your project manager really can steer you out of anything, but it can get really bad. Like it can, if you are, you know, backpedaling and, and moving backwards, you're, you're really fighting the, the process and kind of going upstream. And so making sure that you make all the right turns and do everything the right way, moving down the road is, can, can just save everyone a lot of time, a lot of trouble, so. A ab absolutely, I, I mean, a everything's possible. The only thing you have to understand is that you know, those are all impediments to the process that might affect either the budget or the timeline. So if you're making a lot of changes, well, uh, that's going to affect the timeline, it's going to affect the budget. Those are all things that are really important, and if, if, if you have a really tight deadline and you have to meet it, you definitely have to have some, you know, some hard stops. You know, when is the site frozen? Okay, nobody's making any more changes to the English. You know, those are all really important hard stops in the process that'll ensure that you meet the timeline, that you meet the budget. Um, and really, a strong-willed project manager is the most important part of that equation. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that sounds great. I think that we have a lot to think about. Do you want to do maybe one or two takeaways, like biggest uh, sure. biggest thing to take away from this discussion? Sure, sure. For me, I think um, you know the the point that we just covered: proper planning, getting the vendor, uh, you know, your translation vendor involved early, getting your reviewers involved early, getting all that feedback um, for some of the earlier points um, in this episode. Those are to me the most important aspects of the of the process. Sure. For me, it's uh, really been thinking about the nuts and bolts. I really liked getting into that because I know that uh, there are even more than that. And have you ever heard the expression, uh, don't forget the books? No, I haven't heard that. Oh, okay. It's kind of cool. Um, it was featured in How I Met Your Mother, but I think it's like a thing that people say. But uh, there's a story of this architect who was building this library and he had designed everything perfectly and the windows were on the right spot and all of the do like doorways were wide enough for enough people to go through them and everything was worked out except he didn't think about the fact that books are heavy and so well, the foundation wasn't built strong enough he didn't account for that and so it, it caused the building to, to sink and so uh, the expression don't forget the books means like you don't know what you don't know and there's so many things that you have to consider, and, and it really is about hypervigilance and, and really good planning. And I think that that is a motto that you can really take into this kind of project because there's so much 
local knowledge that's involved in it, and there are so many moving parts. That is right on point, Patrick. Very true. That 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 is uh, um, that is a, a really good saying, and is very very much on point for web design development and translation for sure. Well, sounds great. I think that's all we have for today. So thanks very much. Uh, I'm Patrick, and I'm Peter. Thanks for listening.